3: Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman, PK, all the way from Tucson. How are you doing tonight? I'm drip dry. <laughs> I'm glad Just to hear that.
4: Fabulous.
5: <laughs>
4: no rain yet,
3: but that's okay. you got it all on the East Coast. My goodness. Oh, my God. Yeah. Is this a scary storm coming up to the Carolinas or what? Yes, it is, because it's, it's a universal five days, so there's major
4: changes coming. Whatever they think is happening has been shifting ever since it started today, and it's going to go on like this till the end of the day. So nothing's Gosh. going to quite go as planned. It'll hit real hard, or it's going to do a bust and go off to outer space, but it's, I don't pick that
3: as being the case. Yeah, I don't either. I think you're right. I, I have foreseen uh, basically the whole coastline has changed forever from this. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that hurricane uh, picture that they have, the video from the space right. station, oh, my God. This I thing know, is just so scary. enormous. It really does. Well, and yeah, I, I had a friend
4: from South Carolina. They decided to just go to her son's in North Carolina because they felt it would be safer. And I
3: said, for God's sakes, get the heck out of the area. Period That's right Yes And we also have friends um, in Kiowa Island And they evacuated A couple of days ago And they mm-hmm. hightailed it Over to Georgia But now they're saying Even Georgia Is going to get slammed With a tremendous Amount of rain They're saying up to 40 inches? Well That's it's
4: like, going to go A lot further in Than they anticipate of It's oh, going boy. to cover
3: More than they anticipate
4: Right now In fact It's just Going to be mind-boggling I just can't wait To hear what the prophecy Is going to be Once it does hit Yeah,
3: yes, exactly. Well, with a number five involved, yes, I can see what you're talking about. It's Mm -hmm. going to be change after change after change. So what else is going on for us with the numbers? Well, one of the things that we're, we're really taking a look at
4: this month, as I've said throughout this month, is that what we're going through is a review of the entire year. So everybody that thinks they've got everything locked in at the moment, forget it. There are things that are constantly changing regardless of what your personal year is. You've got the universe looking at you about up pops Beelzebub. It's jumping in when you least expect it. When you think it's going to be calm and quiet, it goes a little crazy. Think of Kitty Rogers' song, The Gambler. That's what this month is all about. It's going to be a gamble if things are going to be smooth or erratic. And I think we're going to see some more things coming to the surface I keep picking up something illegal happening big time, but I'm not quite sure Ooh. whether it's going to be this month or next month. But hang on, folks, because next month should be a doozy.
2: Oh,
3: okay. Well, I'm all for secrets coming out, so hopefully we'll get some good information from all of this. But, yeah, it sounds mm-hmm. like it's going to be a bumpy ride. So
4: It certainly oh is gosh. going to be
3: that. Let's put it this yeah. way. It's going to be like being on the Ferris wheel with
4: somebody taking the seats out. Uh-oh, uh-huh. <laughs> sounds
3: rather uncomfortable, <laughs> oh my goodness, you got it, <laughs> oy, oy, oy. okay, so tonight we're going to bring our, one of our most favorite guests on the show tonight, we're so lucky to have him, Nick Redfern's with us, and we're going to bring him on shortly, he's got a great new book, did you love this book, I love this book, oh fabulous, it's so much I new think- information, Stories I've never heard before. Paranormal exactly. parasites. The voracious exactly. appetite of soul-sucking supernatural entities really spooked me. It's a great book for the fall. I'll tell you, perfect timing and having this Halloween. book come out. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this That's is a great definitely one. Definitely Halloween. And mm. Yes, and we've got Nick with us. He's going to go into great detail about all these exciting parasites we need to be protected from. He's going to tell us how to do that, too, I hope. And also, I just want to, yeah, we need to know. I mean, these things are mm-hmm. everywhere, as we found out a couple of weeks ago on our show. <laughs> yeah. When we had well, Chrissy, the psychic medium, on. And if you, you guys mm-hmm. haven't been to our Facebook page, you need to go there because there is a photograph that we took in the broadcast room and a devil's head showed up. So go take a look and at it that. And it wasn't your picture. They, <laughs> no, it wasn't me. No, it does not know No, it wasn't you. It. But I got some and questions.
4: I've got some questions for Nick because I took a look at Mothman through the numbers and I have some
3: questions yeah. for him to see if it fits.
2: Okay, so good. Definitely. Ready to
3: Mothman's my favorite. he's my favorite. So we're gonna get into that big time. But before mm-hmm. we do, I just wanted to again suggest everybody go to the Facebook page because there's also a video there, an interview with Buzz Aldrin and it mm-hmm. is incredible. He talks about seeing a UFO. And on the moon and how they talked about it in code. So go to our Facebook page, make sure you follow us, like us, do all those great things so that you can be sure to get all the latest news because you'll find it there. And mm-hmm. we also now I have to thank Bob Luca, one of our dear friends, because he sent us a UFO sighting that took place in Massachusetts. And this was in South Chatham, And it says, my wife and I were down at Forest Beach on September 3rd, 2018, when off in the distance we saw an orb rising to the level of the star. Then it started to proceed towards us in a northeasterly direction, and it literally went right over our heads, spinning and doing weird shapes. It was flashing different lighted designs around the circumference of the object, I shot some video on my iPhone that shows basically what we saw. It looked much more intense. On June 11th of this year, my wife and I had a major sighting here on Cape Cod. We saw between 11 and 22 UFOs in the sky at the same time. So this is a MUFON posting. So I wanted you guys to be aware of that. And actually, the UFO in this photograph from this taken from this video that this couple made Looks very much like the UFO that showed up in our broadcast room photo last week above the owl. So Mm -hmm. take a look at the owl and UFO picture and take a look at this UFO picture there. I think a match. Very interesting. So I can't wait to see what's going to show up when we bring Nick on. I'm a little nervous, I have to tell you. (laughs) Paranormal parasites? Okay, who's going to show up tonight? Let's see. But anyways, um, Nick has also written a great article. Now, he's a great writer, as you know. He's written a ton of books. And he also writes for Mysterious Universe. And he had an article that I pulled up tonight on Mothman and crop circles. Is there a connection? Now, Nick is about to head out to the annual Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And we're going to get him to give us a little bit of a preview of this information about Mothman and Crop Circles. So we're going to be talking about that this evening. And, again, this is a great book, everybody. It's called Paranormal Parasites, The Voracious Appetites of Soul-Sucking Supernatural Entities. And we're going to bring Nick on right now. We've got a lot to talk about. So, Nick, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thanks, guys. Thank you.
3: Well, it's a pleasure having you here and this book is phenomenal. You've got I think you've covered just about every parasite we could ever imagine. And some of them seem worse than others. Which one is your favorite?
1: Uh well, that's a good question actually. Um I'm gonna have to think about that. I I'm actually not sure if, you know, we should actually like any of them really. You know, because they're all kind of fairly um sort of malevolent and negative, you know, and use us as sort of, um, you know, as a a food source almost in simple terms. So, um, you know, there's a great deal to be wary of when it comes to them more than anything else, I think.
3: Well, you're right. I love the quote on the back of your book. It says, the terrifying truth is that the earth is one big farm, and to paranormal parasites, we are the cattle. Wow.
5: Mm Mm-hmm. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, yeah. I put that on there because um, a lot of the people I interviewed, and, you know, if you go throughout history as well, a lot of accounts where people have had sort of confrontations with um, various paranormal entities. And in many cases, it does seem as if the people have been sort of drained of their life force, their energy, um, as a result of being in close proximity to these things. And I think the important thing to note is that, for the most part, we don't see the big picture. You know, we're just sort of seeing it from our own perspective, not realizing that this could be happening to endless numbers of people around the world. Um, And we're not, as I said, we're not understanding the the larger situation of just how extensively these things could be feeding on us. And, And it just sort of goes under our radar because... You know, we just we just don't recognise it for what it is.
3: I think you're right, and also, why wouldn't we be part of the food chain? You know, we don't think of ourselves that way, but clearly, yeah. from your book, we are. So, well, well, that's an
1: important I have thing. a. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go on. No, I was just going to say. You know, I think that's an important thing that we kind of think we're the sort of the top creature on the planet. You know, but um, who's to say that's the case? You know, we, we kind of view ourselves as the biggest and the best, but, um, you know, I mean, we also do a lot of damage to the planet, you know, and to each other as well. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: So in that sense, I mean, you you could make a case that um, why shouldn't we be somebody, somebody else's food, you know? Um, not food in the sense how we eat, but with these paranormal parasites, it's, all, it's literally as if they sort of drain us. You know, they, they drain us of energy, of our life force. Um, and Vampires. so it's not like, you know, they take us away and sit around the dinner table. It's nothing like that. <laughs> but it's, it's very much like along the lines of, you know, you go to bed at night and this thing looms over the bed. And you suddenly start to feel weak and sick. And then, of course, when you're drained of your energy, then you become prone to illness and infection because your immunity is compromised as a result of, you know, sort of being, um, as I said, just literally, quite literally drained um, by these things. And You talk in your
4: book, um, it's almost as if they're vampires, the way they handle things.
1: Well, in many respects, they are. I mean, I talk about vampires in the book, um, Mm -hmm. largely from the perspective that I think a lot of the old legends of vampires could actually have been uh, inspired by some of these paranormal parasites. Mm-hmm. And um, so today we think of vampires as, you know, either like an old guy in, in a black cloak, you know, with his hair slicked back like Bela Lugosi or Christopher mm-hmm. Lee, or they sort of look like, like today's modern vampires who look like rock stars, you know, that kind of thing. and um, And I think possibly... That some of these old legends, at least some of them, could have been based on people experiencing these paranormal parasites and being sort of drained of energy but it's over time the mythology has become you know you've been drained of blood um, so I think you know there's a good case can be can be made to say that you know tales of vampires actually do have a basis in some degree of reality.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm.
1: Amazing. Now you
3: also you have a lot of new material in the book. There is there are stories we have never heard before and one of them we were talking about just before the show started about Mr. Bender experiencing men in black actually not knocking on the door but coming through the wall. Can you talk a little bit about that with our audience and with us? Because that's a fascinating story. And he was getting yeah. drained pretty regularly.
1: Yeah, well, Albert Bender has sort of the distinction of being the first person to sort of highlight the the Men in Black phenomenon. Now, when people think of the Men in Black, you know, they inevitably think of Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, primarily because (laughs) the the trilogy of movies was so Mm
5: -hmm.
1: popular, um, and you know, all around the planet, not just in the U.S., they were huge everywhere. And even if you weren't interested in UFOs. Um, everybody knew what the Men in Black image looked like, and they knew what they were supposed to do. You know, they silenced people who've seen UFOs. But a lot of people don't realize that the the movie franchise was based on um, a comic book series that was um, briefly existed in the 1990s, in which, in both the movie and the comic book, the Men in Black work like for a secret agency hidden deep within the government. But if you go back to the early 50s when the whole Men in Black mystery began, and which is when the term Men in Black uh, was created as well, if you go back and look at the original reports, they actually, the Men in Black, don't really come across as human. Typically they're described as very skinny, and their skin is very often Mm. described as being sort of like the color of milk, like white, white, white. They often have these oversized eyes, which they hide behind uh, wraparound sunglasses. And as you said, instead of, um, you know, sort of knocking on the door and showing ID cards, they sort of have this ability to materialize through the walls. And that's what exactly Albert Bender said. And um, his experiences occurred in the early 1950s. He ran a, a UFO group in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, called the International Flying Saucer Bureau. And it was at the height of his investigations that he would wake up in the middle of the night and see these three shadowy, glowing-eyed figures dressed in black suits, but clearly not looking human, Look very skinny and kind of vampire-like even, interestingly enough. And um, Mm. the more that he was exposed to them, the more that Bender was exposed to these men in black in the dead of night, he would find himself... uh, Falling ill, very weak, uh, almost like you know, anemic, where he had no energy and um, it was pale and just didn't feel well. And um, and he found that the more he interacted with them and they interacted with him, um, that it was it literally was as if his life, you know, was being drained away from him. And in the end, he had to sort of back away from the UFO subject and and left it alone. He, he briefly came back. Um, around about seven or eight years later, to write a book called Flying Saucers and the Three Men, which was about his experiences. But when he put the book out, he really did leave the subject in the early 1960s. And um, he only actually died three years ago. He was 94. Um, oh. But had he not left the subject, you know, I have a suspicion that he probably wouldn't have landed lasted more than another year uh, because he was so ill as a result of... Um, being in proximity to them mm.
3: and they were Terrible. telling him you better leave this alone right they were threatening mm-hmm.
1: him yeah that that's one of the, the aspects within the whole man in black mystery that actually is the same as in the movies that um they typically do silence or threaten people not to talk about their experiences but the big difference and they and they wear the black suits but the big difference is that, as i said they don't look like us. They almost look like sort of mannequins. Um, you know, their face looks sort of plastic, and um, as I said, they wear these wraparound sunglasses because their eyes don't seem normal. So um, it's almost like a, if you read Bender's book, it's almost like a, a gothic horror story rather than um, a UFO book. That's how it comes across, you know, these shadowy things entering his room late at night and almost cursing him, you know.
3: That's so spooky. Now, what do you think they are, Nick?
1: Well, that's a good question. I mean, one of the interesting things about the Men in Black stories is that, um, for the most part, they have this weird, uncanny ability to suddenly appear out of nowhere and literally vanish when they leave the front door. I mean, you know, they're nowhere in sight. So I, I kind of take the view that these things are sort of what we would call like multi dimensional, where they can zip in and out of our reality and into theirs and from their reality into ours, and you know things like um, quantum physics today are sort of allowing for the existence of multiple dimensions beyond ours, so i think I think they're alien in the sense that they're not human, but I think they're possibly something that's par- paranormal and interdimensional. Um, And that may be, you know, how much of the UFO subject is also, is it extraterrestrial or is it something that sort of coexists in like a multi-dimension? And um, I think with the Men in Black, we could make that kind of case that they have the ability to be here all the time just by zipping in out of our reality, which we cannot do. But but they seem Mm -hmm. to have achieved it, I think.
3: But what's their motivation for trying to silence people? I mean, this is all speculation, obviously. But what do you think that, why do they have an investment in that?
1: Well, I mean, there's, there's certainly two things going on with the men in black. And one is no doubt, you know, the the angle of silencing people and threatening them and making these sort of vague threats, um, you know, where the person's worried because they're not sure, you know, did that person just threaten my life, you know, and it kind of plays on their mind, etc. Mm. Um, so I think part of their agenda is to keep us away from the truth of the UFO phenomenon. But the other side of it, I think, is that, you know, if you frighten these people, as the men in black do, then that creates like a, an increase in energy, you know, like, for example, uh, adrenaline you know, and the the whole sort of what they call fight versus flight, you know, when you have all these stress chemicals uh, sort of racing around your body when you're in a terrified state. So I sometimes wonder if part of the threat isn't just to silence the person, but it's to terrify the person and scare them, and that Mm -hmm. creates even greater levels of energy. So, in other words, the men in black have a convenient way of increasing that energy level in the person by threatening them and that gives them more and then freedom. They
3: feed off
1: it yeah, yeah okay. so i think that sometimes <laughs> i think we'll sometimes fear. you could yeah you could make a, a good case that the perhaps the threat is like a ruse. perhaps the whole point is to scare the person and just increase the energy you know so um there could there could be something like that going on i think yeah they that's
3: feed off a the energy
2: very of thing. yeah amazing it's
3: very fascinating hypothesis i think you're onto something here with all of this nick um it's very it's a fascinating topic that you have brought forward now what's the relationship between the men in black and the black eyed kids is there one well
1: well there is yeah there's a there's a lot of parallels between the two now for people who haven't heard of the black eyed children um it's a phenomenon that began or at least began to be reported uh, about 20 years ago, but we know that there were uh, previous reports to that, just people didn't talk about them that much. Um, But um, basically, it began in Texas in 1998 with a journalist, a Texan journalist named Brian Bethel, and uh, he had an experience late at night with these two boys who, again, looked very skinny and pale, their skin didn't seem right, and... um, they had these solid black eyes. And I I don't just mean sort of the middle part of the eye being solid black, but the entire eye of both kids was black. Mm -hmm. And he was in his car at the time, and they sort of, you know, it jarred him because one of them knocked on the window. And he felt himself as if he's been hypnotized to let them into the vehicle. Now, there's there's sort of a parallel here with vampires because the black-eyed children, whether they're knocking on people 's windows of the car or trying to get into the house, they never force their way in. They always try and find a way to have the person invite them in and that sort of ties in with the old vampire legends that a vampire has to be invited into the home before right. you know he mm-hmm. can cross the threshold, so to speak and um, mm-hmm. typically, in these black eyed children stories, you find that there'll be a knock on the door late at night and you know, the 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 witness or the victim, however you want to term them, look through the spy hole, and they suddenly find themselves almost like hypnotized or mind controlled, and they know they shouldn't open the door at like midnight to two creepy kids, but they do.
2: Not always, but <laughs> oh, sometimes no. they do. Mm-hmm.
1: And when people have let them into the house, just like the men in black, um, they've started to feel ill when they've invited them in, and the kids are sort of staring at them, and then they feel ill as well. You know, they start to get the shakes as if, you know, their blood sugar was plummeting, that kind of thing. Um, And when you mention the men in black parallels, well, in both cases, typically, they they wear black. With the kids, it's usually a black hoodie, and the men in black, it's a black suit. Um, They typically, both groups, come out late at night, and knock on the door. The men in black seem to have the ability to mind-control people to open the door, and the black-eyed children slightly different because, uh, as I said, they seem to need to be invited in. But, you know, the pale skin, the black outfit, the need to get into the house, you know, you could make a good case that those are actually quite closely connected parallels, you know.
3: Yeah, it does seem that way. And You mentioned there are a couple of differences. The men in black don't need permission to come in, but these black-eyed yeah. kids seem to. And I, I, as yeah. I recall, the gentleman you were talking about who had the, the knock on the window from the two kids, he took off. He didn't let them into his car. Is that correct?
1: Yes, Brian Bethel, uh, he actually, in a very creepy way, he said he saw his hand and his arm moving towards the door and getting ready to open it. And when he saw what he was doing, <clears> he <throat> kind of like jolted him out of this mm. hypnotized state. And he managed to sort of pull out of it and get his senses back. And he just sort of hit the accelerator and, and shot away and, um, and left them behind. But he said sort of three or four times, you know, they tried to find ways to get in the car, you know, we're lost. Um, you know, can you, can you take us to our parents? Can you take us to our home? Can you get us some food? Have you got some money that we could have? And it's, mm-hmm. always, it's always like sort of putting the, the uh, responsibility on the person to get them to make the agreement.
3: So strange. Now, there have been unfortunate people that didn't have the control that this gentleman had, and they did let them into the house. And you write about that yeah. in your book also. Tell us mm-hmm. about that. What happened to those people?
1: Well, interestingly enough, the response or the effect on the person wasn't that um, too different from what Albert Bender reported, where the the, uh, the victims, the people, um, said that when the black-eyed children were in the house, and um, they were just sort of staring at the people, suddenly they felt, number one, they felt as if they were in sort of a, like a daze, almost like a hypnotic state, or as if they'd been drugged but it was drugged to the point where they weren't completely out of control, but they knew somebody had, you know, sort of spiked their drink or something. It was like uh, something along those lines. Um, And they felt that, you know, they were almost in sort of a dreamlike state. Um, And things got worse when, you know, they started, as some of them said, you know, their body started to crash, you know, kind of like... um, like a diabetic person would if they'd missed, mm-hmm. you know, breakfast and lunch and then by dinner time, you know, they, you know, when they're diabetic, they just have to eat, you know, if they've gone too long, and it doesn't matter right. what it is, they just need anything at one point. And that's how the people felt. They felt that they were, their body was crashing, um, but not just literally crashing, but it was as if their energy was being transferred into the black-eyed kids. So, again, that's very similar to what Albert Bender reported, Um, and again, it ties in with putting people into high states of fear, mind-controlling them, and then, if you like, sort of almost like refueling, but refueling on us, you know.
3: Yeah, it's it's really a terrible thought, but yet... I have no doubt that you're right, that this does happen. We have a lack of awareness when it comes to these interdimensionals, and we need to get aware because they're, they're definitely here and they're doing things to us without our permission
1: or it's seemingly well, with I our think,
3: permission when we're under that mind control.
1: Yeah, and I think why sometimes they get away with it, not necessarily perhaps with um, the men in black, or the black-eyed kids, but some of the things where they occur in the dead of night, um, I think in some cases, or maybe a lot of cases, the witnesses thought they just had a really bad nightmare, you know, not realizing that it was actually a real event, that mm-hmm. sort of something invaded their their sleep state, if you like. Um, so, so they talk themselves know, that,
3: out of it. Yeah, they just think, oh, I yeah, just had a dream. Yeah, they're like, oh, oh that was up. just
1: a bad dream, you know, of that creepy person looming over the bed and and even though they wake up feeling groggy and just not too well they don't necessarily you know um make the connection it's more that perhaps they just felt they got you know a bug or a bit of a virus and it Mm -hmm. just coincidentally happened the same night they had that weird dream so i think Mm -hmm. a lot of cases may have sort of gone under the radar so to speak simply because um People don't asso- very often don't asso- associate them as anything other than just a bad nightmare. You know.
3: Yes, exactly. Well, mm-hmm. we're going to take a very short commercial break, but when we come back, I want to talk about my favorite. I do have a favorite parasite,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and that's Mothman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Mothman, and I know PK, you've done the numbers for Mothman, so we're going to take a look at all that and. We've got a lot to talk about because Mothman has quite the presence and you're actually going to go to his stomping grounds as of tomorrow, Nick. So this will be a fun conversation about uh, my friend Mothman. So everybody stay tuned. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio. We will be right back.
0: Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With Cosmic Fusion, the source energy does the work for you, it's easy and effortless listen to our free meditation right from our cosmic fusion website the cosmic code meditation sign up for one of our interactive webinars today come to cosmic fusion www to experience an effortless awakening and transformation are you ready for an upgrade are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth-dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your
2: property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com.
5: Astridian is a family of cosmetic products with 98% pure ionized minerals. We combine our science with a blend of essential oils to nourish and take care of your skin's health. How does it work? All Australian products contain the proprietary redox technology, having the capability of simulating an ionic zinc-copper superoxide dismutase effect. This free radical scavenger currently in your body has been diminished by toxins and the daily stresses of life. It is a perfectly balanced mineral complex that all $200-an-hour dermatologists, their professors, and ancient history have proven. Redox technology is a process of reducing the skin's oxidation by transferring electrons from a radical state to a stress-free normal condition. Oxidative stress is a form of cellular aging, and as science has proven, a precursor to disease. The free radical theory of aging states that organisms age because cells accumulate free radical damage over time. Damaged cells are not beautiful, but healthy cells are. The Astrudian Family is presented in four different uses that cover unique benefits to your body. They are the Essential Anti-Aging Series, the Multivitamin Series, Sports Series, and Professional Series. Regain your youth with the power of Astridian. Visit www.astridium.com and inquire. Use the code SUPERNATURAL and receive a 10% discount on your first purchase. Astridian, the beauty of being healthy.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, here with my co-host, PK, and our great guest tonight, Nick Redfern, who is here with his new book, which is terrific, Mm -hmm. Paranormal Parasites, The Voracious Appetites of Soul-Sucking Supernatural Entities. So here we are talking about, which I hope we can talk about in great detail, my friend, the Mothman. I love Mothman. I think it's an amazing story. <laughs> and I, I, Nick, you're on your way to meet with Mothman. I know at Mount Pleasant. So, <laughs> so wouldn't that be great? you can come back and tell us about that experience. But do tell us <laughs> a little bit about the background on Mothman, because it is a great story. And yes, it there's is. There's a lot of controversy too about this. Was he? What was he doing? Was he causing this disaster that occurred in Mount Pleasant, or was he just there watching? So, tell us about it. Well,
1: well, the whole thing began in late 1966 when, um, in a little town just outside of Point Pleasant, um, there were sighti- or there was a sighting of what was described as like a flying humanoid, so like a human figure but with these huge wings. Um, and then, within days afterwards. Other people around town saw this creature as well, and it was described as sort of dark and shadowy and having these sort of bright illuminated red eyes. And um, between the latter part of 1966 through December 1967, there were literally dozens and dozens of cases of Mothman having been seen around Point Pleasant. Interestingly enough, there are also a lot of these creepy types of men in black roaming around town, warning people not to talk about the Mothman and things like that. So again, you have you know the presence of the of the men in black in the in the Mothman um, phenomenon as well. Now oh. the sightings all kind of culminated and came to an end in December '67 <clears throat> when the towns. Um, called what was called the silver bridge which spans the ohio river and that you have uh, ohio on one side of the river and on the other side you have west virginia where um where point pleasant is and mm-hmm. one particular night just at not just barely a few days before christmas uh, the silver bridge as it was known collapsed into the ohio river um killing uh, more than 40 people you know they drowned in their vehicles they couldn't get out as the bridge collapsed and various people around town a lot of people around town felt that the mothman somehow was connected to the disaster and the deaths some people viewed the idea that mothman was sort of a dangerous entity that caused the disasters um but people like john keel who wrote the book the mothman prophecies john keel came to believe that mothman was more of like a warning entity that it would surface when um, disasters were about to happen and he would warn in a strange way that something was looming on the horizon. Um, so it was a very weird year, you know, of deaths, of UFO sightings, of the Men in Black and Mothman, of course. And um, and again, you know, you have people who, who saw these creatures or the creature, depending on how you want to describe it. And um, you know, again, people sort of felt this situation where, you know, this thing was getting its claws into them, you know, as it, almost as if it had targeted them, you know, that um, it was actually sort of, you know, directed to them. That, the, In other words, the encounters, in many cases, may not have been random. You know, the person had been targeted by this creature, whatever it was.
3: Now, did Mothman ever hurt anybody?
1: Well, that's debatable. I mean, for people who believe that Mothman caused the bridge disaster, those people say yes because they believe that, you know, he caused the events to occur, which resulted, as I said, in more than 40 drownings. Um, Now, other people, as I said, kind of view Mothman as like a guardian entity, but like a warning entity as well. In that sense, you know, it's more of a... A friendly, well, I wouldn't say friendly, but at least um, you know something that was not necessarily murderous, so to speak. Um, and even to this day, you know, the, there's still a great deal of debate as to what Mo, uh, Mothman's motivations actually were. Um, but the the case became so um, famous, if you like, and then in 1975, John Keel wrote his book on the subject as i said uh, the mothman prophecies and then in 2002 keel's book was turned into a big hollywood movie with um, richard Gere, um based on the on the on the book um and in 2002 onwards the people of point pleasant they've had a festival every year um sort of in the name of, of mothman and um and it's not sort of a, a doom and gloom type situation. They um uh, it's like a county fair where you have people giving lectures on Mothman um and related things in Point Pleasant. Um you they have like a bands playing and there's a like a Miss Mothman pageant and there's people who start <laughs> selling you know, they're selling Miss Mothburgers, <laughs> Moth you know <laughs> um Moth uh, Mothman fridge magnets, um you know, paintings, fridge, you know, fridge magnets, you name it. So um, it's become very much like, um, like a county fair, but with mm-hmm. sort of a paranormal twist to it. But at the height of um, you know the the popularity of these events, um, I think last year or the year before there was like ten thousand people turned up. And um, typically, there's sort of a, you know five, at least five or six thousand people turn up because it's an outside event, and all these streets mm-hmm. in the downtown area of Point Pleasant are closed down, and you know all the stalls and the tables where everybody's selling things and um, making things. Um, as I said, that's all shut down, and you have thousands of people sort of walking around. and you know, like, so it's it's done in sort of a like. Um, you know, a good positive way rather than looking at it from the perspective of, you know, doom and gloom. So.
3: I think that's Amazing. great. And you know, mm-hmm. I've I've always felt this is my personal opinion that Mothman did not cause the bridge collapse. But I also have a sense of Mothman as a very intelligent uh form of life. And whether it's mm-hmm. interdimensional, I'm sure it must be Yet at the same time, there have been stories about people capturing guttural low voices of Mothman in the munitions abandoned warehouse type of thing in Point Pleasant. So there are all kinds of stories about this. And one of them I watched, as I mentioned previously when we were talking, on Paranormal Witness was a reenactment and an interview with a young couple who went to the munitions area and brought their recorder. And just started kind of joking around, laughing. You know, is anybody here? And they said it was a very spooky place, but they captured a voice saying, "I am here." And then they went home. Apparently, Mothman went with them. So, oh, and I think it's more than one Mothman. But anyways, um, they found they got terrified because they were finding these huge black handprints with claws on their bathroom mirror. They uh, found spoons. All their spoons in their drawer were taken out and bent, lying on the floor. One of them was in their bed. They had uh, glasses that were flying out of the cupboards and smashing on the floor. And I wonder, you know, I just had to ask myself, I mean, if if I were Mothman, and somebody came into the area in which I lived and started taunting me, how would I feel? You know, I might want to come after them and teach them a little lesson. And as this unfolded, it it just got worse. And they eventually ended up leaving their home in total terror. And they never went back to their home. And they, they tried to go back to the munitions area first. And, and But all they did was when they went back, they yelled and screamed at Mothman. Well, that just made everything a thousand times worse. But if you think of it... I mean, as there must be some level of intelligence with a lot of these things you've written about, a lot of these forms of life, and I wonder if some of them you could have a communication with, a conversation with, if there was a level of respect. But if there's just, I'm a hunter, I'm going to taunt this thing, I'm coming after this thing, then I would imagine you'd get the same energy back at you in uh, exponentially, and it could be very dangerous. What do you think? Well,
1: yeah, I mean, you make a good point there because there you you can make a good case that many of the encounters that people had with the Mothman were not random. It's almost as if in some cases, you know, the people were targeted, but for whatever reason, we don't know. But what we can say is that the people who encountered the Mothman or saw it, you know, their lives would definitely change forever. And, um, you know, some of them didn't want to talk about their encounters, but others sort of embraced the stories and became, you know, almost sort of advocates for for talking about Mothman on TV shows and radio and promoting it. They felt it was an important thing to share with people and to get, you know, get the story out there. Um, Others sort of shied away, and other people somewhere in between, you know, and um, so I think the important thing is that however you view Mothman and its activities and its interactions, the one thing that he did more than, anything, more than anything else, I think, was to sort of change lives and change them significantly. I mean, even John Keel, who wrote The Mothman Prophecies, you know, he wrote it from the perspective of him being a journalist and investigating it. But the more time he spent in town, the more he found um, him becoming part of the story with getting weird hang-up phone calls in the middle of the night, and himself seeing UFOs. So he went from being like a detached uh, observer and writer about it and then suddenly becomes one of the, you know, the people involved in it even. And so, you know, that, that's one of the things that Mothman seems to have the ability to do more than anything else was to, you know, make the people who saw the Mothman become part of the story.
3: That's fascinating. Now, PK, you also did the numbers for Mothman. What did you find? Well, the thing I was curious about uh is uh, Nick, I I'm
4: picking up every 7 years there's a major change around him as an individual or whatever he's putting out there. And that was one of the things I picked up with this. Uh also that he it's all about self. There's nobody else involved. And it's very uh And taking a look at the name Mothman, he's got a lot of creativity to show things, but it's all about me, my, and I attitude. It's not good at communicating things and very detailed to the point that it feels everybody's against him. He doesn't feel Hmm. that there's any positive. Because looking at the chart itself, he doesn't know how to communicate in a positive way. He doesn't trust anything that deals with the spiritual side, shall we say. What goes on for humanity, he has nothing there. And when it comes to self and ego, he only has one mark there, which should be a good portion of what he does. And that is a karmic accumulation. So this is a very, I would say, a very angry, disillusioned individual trying to get people's attention, and they're not paying attention.
1: Well, that's an interesting theory. You know, I hadn't really thought about that one before, but that's no, that's a that's a very interesting one.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's kind of kind of what I was saying in a different way. That there is some uh, there's some desire for communication, and that may be why uh, he did approach just certain people, as you mentioned, Nick, that were targeted for some oh. type of contact with him. Uh, but you know, but the, then what you're saying, PK, is there's a he doesn't know how. Communicate what he wants to to say, what he wants people to know. So he ends up being vilified, as possibly mm-hmm. causing forty deaths and scaring the crap out of people in the middle of the night. And and it, but it is so fascinating that so many people that get involved with this, including the author, the journalist, get these hang up weird phone calls. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, there is a pattern of of all of that that erupts when Mothman's involved. So it's almost like, again, he wants to communicate, like you said, PK, but doesn't know how. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. all of these other things happen. I mean, the spoon bending that happened to this young couple and the glasses being smashed on the floor, um, and then they had slime thrown at them that they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. There's an anger. There's an
4: anger here because of the inability to communicate.
5: Mm And also
4: the tendency to be a manipulator to get things to look like what he wants to be seen, but he can't get it across to be seen in that fashion.
2: Mm-hmm. that makes sense?
4: It, it
3: just, yeah, it does. It's very interesting because, again, I just sense a high level of intelligence, but with the inability to communicate uh, whatever the message is, it must mm-hmm. be very frustrating. And then to have people, again, come to your where you're living, like these people did, this young couple did in the munitions area, and just taunt him. I mean, that had to be very infuriating. So it's just the whole thing is I find tremendously fascinating. And I maybe someday somebody can sit down and have a conversation with them. I don't know. <laughs> Might be you, Nick. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you can make history with that one.
2: Yeah. That's for that's sure. True.
3: Now, you also talk about some other interesting characters in your book, like the shadow people. Tell us about the shadow oh. people.
1: Well, the shadow people, as the name kind of suggests, if you imagine, um, you know, a human shadow, but with nobody actually casting the shadow, you can just see the shadow. That's how they're described. And um, But if you imagine like an independent, intelligent human shadow just racing around or, you know, you see it moving across the walls in your house, that's the best way to describe the shadow people. In other words, they're sort of not, they don't come across as appearing, you know, as sort of flesh and blood creatures. They're sort of, you know, very two-dimensional in terms of, you know, just being like a, a flat shadow. But these stories are a little bit different because most of them actually occur in the dead of night, and people typically have these experiences with the shadow people round about sort of 1.30 to about 3.30, thereabouts, and um, which is actually, interestingly enough, there's sort of the, roughly the hours when people ha- do have sort of deep supernatural experiences when you're sort of really, you know, in, in a deep sleep. But people, typically what happens, they wake up in the middle of the night unable to move properly, like either totally paralyzed or semi-paralyzed. And this is a, a, a condition known as sleep paralysis. Now, you know, doctors, psychiatrists, et cetera, would say that this is just the human brain misfiring, you know, when you're asleep. But there are so many cases on record going, you know, literally going back thousands of years. And interestingly enough, many of the witnesses from all different parts of the world describe seeing, you know, the the entities that they see. Everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people report the same kind of thing. In many cases, the shadow people. Now, what's interesting is that there's one sort of a subcategory of the shadow people called the Hat Man. And the Hat Man is, like a, again, like a shadow, but it wears like an old-style fedora hat, like from the 50s or the 40s. Now, interestingly enough, Albert Bender's uh, Men in Black were, wore sort of like a, an old-style fedora hat. So there might be a connection there. But again, what happens is people don't just sort of wake up and feel paralyzed and to move. They too start to feel weak and sick, ill, feverish. Um, again, totally lacking in energy. You know, they wake up in the morning with remnants of the dream in their mind, or the experience, I should say. And they can barely make it, you know, to the kitchen or to the to the bathroom or wherever because they feel so weak. They feel they're like just going to pass out. You know, as if they hadn't eaten for a week or something. Um, so the shadow people are actually quite very sinister entities. You know, they they just kind of hover over the bed, and uh, as if that very close proximity, like say one to two feet away from the person, allows them too, to sort of drain people of their of their essence, so to speak. Um, and so you know when you when you put all those together, the men in black, the black-eyed kids, the shadow people, the hat man, they all seem to be following one path, which is to sort of feed on us. But there are some mm-hmm. sort of subtle differences that, you know, you have to sort of go looking for. But um, I guess that the, the shadow people are sort of the creepiest because they don't have like a solid physical form. You know, it's like a shadow which um, you put the lights on and they're gone because there's no shadow to be reflected, you know. Um, or, you know, they they're, they're just here one second, they vanish through, you know, the crack in the wall or through the door, that kind of thing. And yet they seem to be an intelligent kind of shadow, which in itself is sort of creepy too. You know, the idea that, um, you're like, you know, you could be watching TV and suddenly this, human-like shadow just sort of slowly moves across your walls, you know, and, and vanishes.
3: Now, what do you do to protect yourself with something, from something like that? What's your recommendation?
1: Well, i tell you, one of the things that has actually worked with the shadow people, and that's when someone really um, sort of issues out, um, you know, a, a big kind of statement, you know, go away, leave me alone. And some people have used sort of, you know, prayed in the name of this God or that God. Others have just sort of focused on um, blasting the entity, you know, with um, positive energy. And, And I think that actually is, there's enough cases on record to suggest that that actually does work. In other words, when you're in a deep state of anger and fear combined, and you tell these things to leave it's almost as if if you're uh, you know lucky enough you can sort of beat them at their own game where they are overpowered by your energy you know your sort of psychic energy the way you sort of you may not realize you're doing it but by telling them you know leave right now it's almost you're you know you're blasting them with your own psychic energy and very often that not so much with the men in black or the black-eyed kids, but certainly with the shadow people and the hat man, that approach of essentially saying leave and leave now has worked. So, you know, I think that's one of the positive developments that we've found, namely that, um, you know, when when you sort of really sort of put it, you know, lay it down and you're in such a state of anger and fear you know it's at times like that that you really do kind of let it all loose you know and um if it impacts on these entities i think it could have sort of a negative effect on them you know they they expect to take the energy they don't expect to be blasted with energy but that's i think is what's happening and and why sometimes we're successful
3: well that's great advice and certainly we've talked to some people who do psychic clearing, and they, they usually, the good ones, are always saying the same kind of thing. Look, you've got to get involved in your own house clearing or personal space clearing. You've got to take your own stand so that when you see this shadowy figure, as you mentioned, or something thats that shouldn't be there, that you can stand up and say, get out in the name of whatever, uh, whomever you yeah. work with. Uh so other than that what is there anything else that we can do or is that really the best the best way to go about it mm.
1: Well no no that's one of the ways now other ways I'm sure you know as you know some people um use substances like sage you know and yes, for
5: smudging. Well, you know sure. sort mm-hmm. of um,
1: yeah sort of uh, liberally you know um spread sage around the house and sort of do you know do, do like a positive affirmation kind of situation to either keep them away or send them away. And, and again, that that does work. And um, so, you know, variations on that kind of situation do seem to work. And why they work, we don't know. But, I mean, the, import, the important thing is that they do. Yeah, um, right. And, you know, again, I think part of it, at least, may be due to the level of, of their abilities, you know, um, There's some of them that seem to manipulate us to massive amounts. There are others where, you know, it's it's not quite as powerful or as dangerous. Um, You know, the the draining may just take a few minutes and the person never has another experience with them. In other cases, particularly with the shadow people, people have recurring encounters, you know, as if they're coming back time and time again. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I think different approaches cause different effects on these things, you know, their energy their energy levels, you know, may be higher than some of the other supernatural entities, you know, um, but it may not be, you know, the exact same level in each one, you know. Yeah, that's Does interesting. Sea
4: salt Do you think sea salt would work as well as sage or not?
1: Well... I mean, I, I do know of people who've sort of used, you know, substances like sage oils and things like this mm-hmm. and to sort of, you know, make an affirmation, a statement, and and to try and banish them and, you know, sort of metaphorically present in their mind like a brick wall kind of thing to keep them away. And, and I think a lot of it does come down to self-belief. You know, it's kind of like... Um, It's like in the old vampire movies, like Bela Lugosi Mm -hmm. and Christopher Lee. But if you've got a crucifix waving it at the vampire, if you believe, you know, in this particular religion, Mm -hmm. it can keep it at bay. But if you're an atheist, um, deep down, you know, from your perspective, you know, if you're an atheist and you hold the cross out out at the entity, the vampire, it has no effect. Because mm-hmm. you don't inside you not believe in it, you see what I mean?
5: And yeah, so, just playing that,
1: at it. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of it, trying to banish these paranormal parasites, does require the person to have a great deal of self-will to essentially get rid of it. And if you know, you could have all the right tools, but if you, sort, you know, someone who is very sort of. Um, you know, they don't have lack of confidence, you know, and um, very negative. It probably wouldn't work for them, and these entities would get their claws into them even more. But if you're absolutely sure and confident that you can get rid of them, well, people do get rid of them, you know.
3: Well, what about this thing called the slender man? I mean, that's a made-up construct right so it's, it's well, not an entity that had in a way it's had <laughs> an, an ancient history like some of these others but yeah but it's a tulpa you call it in the book right
1: yeah, it is a construct
3: well, of our mind
1: yeah well the slender man i mean literally millions of people have heard of the slender man now i mean a, a sony pictures actually put out a movie just recently which is still playing all across the u.s it's just called this
2: mm-hmm. i think it's a
1: Slenderman, um, and basically, the Slenderman was created in 2009 uh, for a, an online contest to see who could come up with the creepiest creature for the internet era. And lots of people entered this contest with artwork and sort of fictional stories um, to go with it. One of these people was a guy named Eric Nudson, and Eric Nudson is the guy who created the Slenderman by name and also the image. Now, interestingly enough, the Slender Man looks not unlike the men in black. He wears a a black suit. His face and hands are very pale. Um, But he has no eyes, no nose, no mouth or ears. It's just like vague shadows where they should be. And he has these sort of octopus-like tentacles coming out of his back. And he usually sort of hides in the woods and staring at people, that kind of thing. So it's Sort of a creepy image. But it was created... um, as as a, as a fictional contest, you know, a bit of entertainment. And it stayed right. like that for about five or six months. What happened after that was that various people sort of started to create in blogs and forums and chat rooms about the Slender Man. There was an online... Um, uh, like a, a, a twenty minute each episode story, you know fictional story of the Slender Man, which was really popular. it was called Marble Hornets, and you can find that on on youtube um, and people literally predominantly kids and teenagers, really became obsessed with the Slenderman to the point where there were literally hundreds of thousands um, of people obsessing on the Slenderman, and even if you type in Slenderman into say Google search, the number of uh, results is literally in the millions and the mi- and millions and millions that's how how big of a phenomenon this has become now this then people after about four or five months, people started to claim to have seen the Slender Man in the real world, and so people say, "Well, how can a fictional creation, which we know it absolutely was?" How can people see it? And this relates to this concept that you mentioned called the tulpa. Now, tulpa is a Tibetan term, and in, in terms of English language, the closest translation is thought form. And the idea is that if enough people say, you know, a quarter of a million kids every night are thinking about the Slender Man and reading about him online and reading creepy stories and looking at the artwork, that quarter of a million kids their hive mind state of everybody focusing on the slender man. The idea is that the human mind, if it focuses enough, can create something in the mind and then dispatch it, sort of externalize it and dispatch it outside of the imagination and to where it becomes self-aware and it becomes its own entity. Not because it ever really originally existed, but because the power of millions of minds all collectively working, although unknowingly, we're all working together in sort of like a hive-like situation, can create or can turn imagination into reality. And these things then become, uh, like I said, self-aware, and they become independent of the minds of the creators. And there have been cases where people have woken up in the middle of the night, not unlike with the, uh, the shadow people, and seen the Slender Man looming over them. And they've started to feel ill and weak and sick, as if when we've created these things, they then turn the tables on us because they then need to feed on us. So in other words, we, in a strange and sinister way, we've sort of created these things like the, like the, the real version of the fictional Slender Man. We've created that, and now it's faded on us, the creators.
3: That is such a fascinating concept. And it reminds me of, uh, bringing back to mind anyways, there were a group of mediums that created an entity. I think it was called Philip or something. Does that ring that, a bell? Yeah,
1: that's, that's exactly right, yeah.
3: Yeah, and so they were able to actually manifest this entity that they made up. So it's a very similar thing. And how powerful our minds are that we're able to Focus that way and create an entity that, as you mentioned, I think so poignantly, that it becomes self-aware. My God, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, this relates to the one you mentioned that it was called the Philip experiments. Um, it's actually a Canadian paranormal research group, and they uh, this is back way back in the 1970s, and they did this experiment where they created sort of an image and a And a backstory and a history for this man who was dead um, in in England he was sort of i mean he, he never existed, but they created this image of like a of a you know a rich uh, landowner back in sort of sixteenth century England or thereabouts, and they gave a story and a tragic ending with his wife getting killed and they then basically focus their mind on philip and the story they'd created and then one day he started to come through not physically but through a ouija board and um what happened was that essentially focusing so deeply on this image of philip and the story to him created like a real world version which again was sort of projected out of the mind and then started to actually answer questions and interact with the people that had created it. And, um, you know, it's a very, very weird story that's, you know, it's like giving birth to something that's never really lived, but in a strange way you've created it and then it becomes independent.
3: Yeah, that is so wild. I mean, it's just incredibly mm. wild stuff. Very interesting. Now, how does Bigfoot fall into this?
1: mix
3: the the chapter
1: in the book on Bigfoot is slightly different because with most of the chapters in the book it deals with how you know we're drained of our energy but there are some deep and sort of dark and disturbing stories concerning Bigfoot where there are rumours and and stories where people out in the woods may actually you know have been sort of captured and killed and, and eaten by the Bigfoot creatures Um, That's not very nice. No, well, thankfully there aren't that many reports, but there are enough um, to suggest that, while this doesn't go on, obviously, you know, on massive scales, but there are a lot of really weird stories, particularly from the larger um, American um, national forests, where people have vanished under extremely odd circumstances and uh, in locations where these bigfoot creatures have been seen now as i said I, I don't think you know this is something that happens a lot because i think we would have we certainly would have had more reports um so i think possibly you know they live on wild animals but the time comes you know if they're starving if they're really hungry they might just take on a person and um and i talk in the book uh, in that particular chapter about a number of cases of people allegedly killed by Bigfoot creatures. Um, In fact, people don't know this, but back uh, more than a century ago, um, President Theodore Roosevelt, uh, who was an avid hunter, he, um, in one of his books, he talked about how he'd met um, sort of like, you know, like a a woodsman um, in, in the woods who told him this story about how, uh, a friend and colleague of, of him had been killed by this strange upright animal that had sort of jumped all over him and broke his neck and um, and this is in President Roosevelt's book and um, so you know the, these stories have a long history and quite disturbing you know the idea that um, again we're we're sort of something's food and um, and maybe now and again you know these the Bigfoot creatures do resort to uh you know, taking on one of us and
5: um and well, again that have... kinda of
1: spirals into the angle that the government may know this and um has sort of, you know, put the uh the clamps on it and, and hidden the stories, you know, that um,
3: Yeah, they don't want anybody to know what people are disappearing in our national yeah. parks that's for sure yeah. but one of the things i'm going to pass on to you that came from one of our guests dr j who's written a couple of books on his bigfoot encounters um he has said that it's not the bigfoot that's that's capturing and killing people it's something called the tragon. they look very similar but they are vicious and they come after people and children and take them away or eat them. But it's that's that was his piece of information that he passed on to us. I thought that was very interesting also, that oh. there might be another creature there that looks similar but has a much more uh, violent, aggressive aspect that well, is hanging out in those areas.
1: Well, that's not impossible because, you know... Um People think all these entities like Bigfoot and the Yeti, etc. They're all the same. But um, you know, I mean, if you look back into sort of Native American legend um, and sort of Canadian legend as well, you have these stories of what's known as the Wendigo. And the Wendigo, oh, yes. depending yes. on yeah, I mean, depending on whose version of the you know the mythology you buy into, some people say it's sort of it is like a savage monster of the woods. Other people say that it's sort of um you know the the spirit of a of a killer or a murderer that kind of thing come back into this sort of savage form. other people believe that you can actually become a win a wendigo um but they are described as being you know humanoid and huge and and extremely violent and you know dangerous and um you know um the kind of thing that that would attack a person so but then again, you know, it could be a combination of two. I mean, you know, the, as far as we know, most of the people who see a Bigfoot don't get killed by it because we get their stories. You know, if they were all exactly. killed, we'd never know about yes. their stories. So, That's a good point. And mostly, they, if they know they're being seen, they sort of quickly vanish or they throw rocks at people. But they very rarely, you know, actually engage in violence or worse. But, you know, as I said, there is that handful of cases, you know, 10, 15, 20 cases that, that I've got at least, um, where, you know, you do wonder if if sometimes this does happen, you know.
3: Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, now you talk about aliens and abductions, so we definitely have to pay mm. a visit to this. Talk to well, us yeah, about this,
1: that. Yeah, well, this sort of delves with an, an aspect of that I guess a lot of people wouldn't really think of, um, you know, how good aliens and alien abductions specifically tie in with, you know, paranormal parasites. Well, you know, when you think of alien abductions, most people think of, you know, a UFO hovers over the house late at night or in the early hours of the morning, and what happens, you know, the, the person's taken from their bed and they're, you know, subjected to, like, genetic experiments and things like that. That's sort of the typical scenario that we have but there are a lot of cases on record where people have been taken on board ufos and it's as if their soul their essence their life force um um but primarily you know their soul has been taken out of their body and um Mm. has somehow been sort of tampered with or manipulated with by these creatures that have become known as the greys, these sort of short, alien-like t- uh, creatures with the large black eyes. that uh, You know, everybody knows that particular image. Um, but, you know, the, this situation of sort of soul-stealing or soul-reaping has given rise to the idea that perhaps the so-called black-eyed greys, that the, you know, the if the, um, the soul is a form of energy, you know, are they abducting us to sort of literally extract that soul energy to feed on that as well you know so um we have the ufo component coming into it also from this idea of it's not just an abduction you know where scientists are performing tests on us that they actually have a way even possibly to remove the soul from the body you know a lot of cases of near-death experiences that people have talked about but they seem to be at random, you know, they occur when people have, a, like, a car accident and the person almost dies, you know, and they see their soul outside of the body, etc. But those events sort of are random based on circumstances. The greys, the alien greys, they seem to have the ability to do this at will, you know, to remove our our souls. And um, some of the witnesses have said they actually felt as if that they could, they were sort of detached from their soul and they could see um, almost as if there was like a war or a battle between different kinds of entities for their souls. Um, wow. Some of them being looking like the greys, and others looking more humanoid. Um, so, you know, maybe that somehow sort of ties in with all, you know, all the legends of all, most religions, you know, of uh, believe in the existence not just of an afterlife but of, of a soul so maybe the ancients knew far more about this sort of soul manipulation or stealing uh, than we do today. You know,
3: they very well may have. And you know, you mentioned the people that have gone missing in parks, and we know that's based probably a lot on David Paulides' research, which is yeah. extensive.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's in that area. the best ones for people to read. They're really good. You know, um, oh, I mean, David, fabulous. you know, yeah. former police guy, and. Um, and, he, you know, he, he takes the right approach. He sort of presents the data without, you know, speculating and saying, here's, here's the data, here's the evidence, you know, sort of see it for exactly yourself, but which I think of, is a good way.
3: It's a great way to go. Some of the cases he talks about, the bodies are found and there's no cause of death. Yeah. But you bring up an interesting point. With being able to extract a soul. I mean, what happens when you extract a soul? There's nothing left, right? So it is quite indeed possible, I think, and having done a little bit of work looking into this with some other psychic mediums, that it is quite possible that whoever, maybe an alien, ET, interdimensional, whomever, that they're doing that, that they're taking people's souls out of their bodies and dumping the bodies. So that's why they're finding well, yeah, I E.T.
1: Mean,
3: With no, yeah, with yeah, I mean, no cause of don't... death.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an unfortunate thing to talk about, but, I mean, at some point or other, you know, everybody has to go to a funeral, and if the bodies are on display, you know, there's one thing that I think everybody, whether they talk about it or not, one thing that everybody knows is that although, you know, the body of the person is clearly the person, in some respects, they don't look anything like the person. You know what I mean? It's like yes. it's because mm-hmm. the soul is gone. They, it, they do the face just looks like you know it's it is the person you knew they looked exactly like them but it's like they're just a shell you can tell there's just no not there's no life there not just because they're dead but because there's no soul there there's no essence there it's just it's just a body you know
3: exactly so i think
1: yes you can make a good case that um you know the idea that uh, the soul could be some sort of um is something that, again, can be used in the same way as, you know, your energy levels, you know, your your fear levels, you know, adrenaline running around your body. I think possibly, you know, that in some ways all of these energies could somehow have been sort of synthesized and and used in the way we would, you know, you go to a refrigerator and get a bottle, you know, a glass of milk out or yeah, you make a sandwich, right. you know. It, I know it's sort of... Um, kind of dominate down but that's the best analogy i can think of is that they may do something very similar in terms of the end process but they have a very alternative and weird way of doing it
3: yeah i i agree i mean there's a lot there's a lot here that we just don't know about Mm -hmm. so we we really have to be open-minded and consider all possibilities now you also talk about the night hag. Tell us about the night hag, because this is one I've seen myself scared the crap mm-hmm. out of me. So <laughs> tell us about the night. Yes.
1: Hag. Yeah. Well, in some respects, the the night hag it actually isn't too different from the shadow people. Again, what usually happens is that you know somebody's in the dead of night, fast asleep, and then something jerks them awake, or they just wake themselves, and they're again unable to move properly. But instead of, where is whereas with the shadow people, the shadow person's usually already looming over them, but with the night hag, the person often f- gets this sense that something's sort of coming up the corridor towards the bedroom, or it's in the corner of the bedroom, and coming um, forward as well. And the closer that the night hag gets, um, the harder and harder it becomes to move, and From that point, as the night hag gets closer and closer, it usually um, sort of straddles the person on the bed. Now, you you have male and female versions. You have the incubus, you have the succubus. And typically, you know, the person will wake up with this sort of shrieking old lady, you know, staring and screaming at you in the middle of the night, which is no wonder that people almost, you know, have a heart attack. And um, sometimes there's a sexual component. Other times it seems it's just done to really terrify the person. You know, you wake up at 2 a.m. and there's this, you know, old lady with this long black hair, wild eyes screaming at you. Um, But, you know, the stories of the, the old hag, the night hag, the incubus, the succubus, you can actually find stories identical going way back to ancient babylonian times so we're talking literally thousands and thousands of years ago i mean for example the the stories of lilith which um you know go back um you know in a number of religious texts mm-hmm. i mean lilith was that's very that's, much that's like, that's uh, like one the of these yeah was like a, mm-hmm. a night hag and um they again you know the the angle is that. um very often people wake up after having these experiences and they're again they're wiped out as if possibly you know the whole process of terrifying the person um may be the whole point you know that um again that they're somehow drained of energy or their life force uh, and so on now i did see the nightmare well i mean it's interesting you say that because around the world these these sort of night hag figures, incubus, succubus. Um, different parts of the of the world have different types. For example, um, you know you can have these experiences anywhere, and sometimes people will see like a werewolf or a a black dog. That's what, a popular one as well. But it, interestingly enough, uh, in Newfoundland, um, they have their own version called the old hag. Now, if you if you Google Newfoundland and old hag. You'll see not just a lot of stories, but interestingly enough, stories which are just totally focused on Newfoundland, as if somehow and for whatever reason we don't know, the old hag phenomenon has focused on that part of the world um, far more than others, and that there's no explanation as to why you know Newfoundland more than anywhere else on the planet should see these old hag as it's as it's known so that's why i think you know it isn't just down to weird dreams or you know things like that it it really is due to something that is affecting us and you know using us in ways that we're now i think starting to understand that it's not just about fear um there's actually a reason why we're put into that state of fear you know, it's it's like the more fear, the more food, you know.
3: Yeah, exactly. Well, I did see the, the night hack, and what happened was I was sound asleep, and you know how you feel somebody's looking at you? That's mm-hmm. the feeling I had. Mm-hmm. I opened my eyes, and there was a the woman's face right up against mine, and she didn't have black hair, but she had long gray hair, and it was like mm-hmm. waving in the wind. It scared me. I mean, it was,
0: <laughs> really yeah, scared me.
3: And and I just screamed. I just let out this incredibly loud scream. It was kind of one of those involuntary screams, and yeah. she disappeared. So I was glad that she went away because it was startling more than anything to be out of you know in a sound sleep one second and then you open your eyes and there's this thing there and it 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 felt extremely real. It did not. It was not mm-hmm. a dream. Definitely was not a dream.
1: Yeah. Well, that's
3: I don't know that's why a perfect example, I, you know, of, of, of what happens. Yeah, I just but why, you know, it's like there's. I'd love to know, and especially since she does show up around the world and, and specifically to Newfoundland and possibly other places, why, you know, what is it about what she's doing? And it might be as simple as what you're talking about. She's she's trying to get food. She's scaring us, and then feeding off us. Mm -hmm. i'd like to think it's a little more than that though
1: (laughs) well it may be i think one of the problems even i have to admit you know we don't have for all the research i've done in this area and all the cases in the book even i have to admit you know i think we're still to a degree struggling for answers and i and i do think this energy aspect to it and feeding is part of it but (sighs) you know why there should be different types and quite radically different types you know I mean the old hag looks nothing like the black eyed children and i sometimes wonder right. if these things could be like sort of shapeshifters where they take on forms which they know are going to frighten us whether it's like creepy little oh, kids with black be. eyes or you know or they might turn up like um like a man in black like an authority type figure or they might turn up as like a like a wendigo or a creepy old lady that kind of thing um and so in other words maybe sometimes perhaps they would they even create the image out of our subconscious perhaps they can dig into our subconscious pick out our most frightening nightmare and then present themselves in that way so maybe maybe we've never actually seen these paranormal parasites in their real form they may take on the form when they're interacting with us, which they think will be the one that's going to really frighten us. But we may not actually have seen their real form, you know. That's a great point, Nick. I
3: think you're right about that. Yeah, they could be shapeshifters. A bunch of them could. All of them could Mm, be. That's true. That's very true. We know so little. Yeah. This is is a great book that you've written. Again, I want to urge everybody to go out and get it. It's great. Paranormal Parasites. The Voracious Appetites of Soul-Sucking Supernatural Entities. This is is a fun book, too. If you, you know, just read it with, obviously, you want the lights, all the lights on. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Yes, definitely. definitely. (laughs)
2: That's the only way to read it.
3: (laughs) Now, PK, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite parasite or entity that you like in the book? mm -hmm. There's a little bit of
4: everything. One will get you one way and then the next one you're going, Oh my God. Scary. <laughs> <laughs> really scary.
3: It's great. Stuff I my food and everything now. <laughs> <laughs> really. But Nick, I think you brought some really important points forward for everybody to think about. And okay. now how can people get a hold of you too? If they have a story that they want to share with you, how can they reach oh. you?
1: Um, well, I have a blog, um, which is called World of Whatever, and if you type my name into Google, that's the first link, um, and there's a contact section there where people can reach me. Uh, people can reach me directly at Facebook, um, always happy to chat with people, you know, if they want to, um, share experiences, or if they've got questions about something that happened to them, you know, and they're trying to struggle to understand, I'm always happy to take time, you know, to talk to people in that sense, so, um... Yeah, Facebook, uh, my blog, also Twitter, my accounts. Nick Redfern UFO. People can reach me there. And uh, as to the books, um, probably about sixty percent of them you can get off um, from off the shelves in Barnes and Noble, and all of them you can buy online at places like uh, Amazon and so on.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Okay, easy well, to your find, easy to use. Yes, and you've written, what is it, over 30 books now that you have to your name?
1: Um, which it's, it's actually 48. So, uh, 48? Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> Good
3: for you. I you What's your next
2: book
3: going to
1: be about? Well, actually, I've got one coming What's your next out. Book? I've got two coming out towards the end of the year. One is an alien abduction book, and the other one is a book on the history of Area 51. So uh, they'll both oh. be out at the end of the year. It's just mm-hmm. coincidental that two companies have put them out close to each other. But uh, just one quick other thing is that um, for people who are interested, this coming Saturday in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, it'll be the Mothman Festival. and We'll actually be talking about quite a bit of the stuff that we've talked about tonight, um, the different theories for you know the, these things and how they serve. Um, Seem to uh, turn up, and um, and even the uh, the Mothman connection. I'll be talking about that as well. So,
3: well, that's great. So, anybody who's going to be near Point Pleasant, go visit Nick, and you'll be hearing from him and other speakers at this event. And yep. also, we'd love to have you back, Nick, when your next two books are out. So, we'll okay. be sure to stay in touch. Okay, we'd love to have you back. All right. We have so much fun talking Definitely. to you. Definitely have a Safe trip. Right. Go talk to Mothman for us and let us know <laughs> what oh, you say. I will. Say.
1: I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. Uh, say, do
3: your best, please. And next week, everybody, we'll be back with another exciting show. We have Betsy Foss coming on, and we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about predictions and all kinds of earth changes coming up. You don't want to miss it. Until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everybody.
4: And good
2: night.
1: Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with
2: Supernatural.
3: PK.
4: That was He was very interesting. I like the way yeah, he, he
3: talks. Yeah, he's he's really a good presenter. I'm so thrilled we got him on the show. And we've got to have him back. He's got oh, two yeah. more books coming out. We'll, we'll definitely have great. him back for those. Next yeah, week should be interesting,
4: least. too, with Betsy Lewis. What, yeah. what did you think about the the uh, note that Lowell said, Reverend <laughs> Lowell? <laughs>
3: like, what a oh jackass. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought he was deep when I first met him. He's a jackass. That's it. <laughs> well, you know, I don't if he's never been on radio before, he may truly not understand what's involved. So
2: well, I wanted you to you see the shows and how
3: I answer. Yeah, I like to see how and that's what I wanted to ask you if you're comfortable with my answers and I hope oh, you would yes. be. Okay. Oh, yeah. So you know, it's up to him. And I, I, if I I, him, I, I hate to use the phrase, I'd probably bitch slap him. But
2: <laughs> oh god, oh that's
3: fine. You know, again, for people who have experience with radio, like Nick, he's on radio all the time. But well, um, you but, know, Lowell has not. Been, Lowell, so, he's done all you know. these things. So you know It's bullshit.
4: I'm not
2: oh, going to okay, worry about bullshit. it.
3: All right. Well, then, if he doesn't commit to it, that's fine. We've got a whole bunch of other guests to line up. That's so, exactly it. No problem. We gave it our best shot and. You know, sure. Take from if there. he wants to do the fair and everything else, make sure he doesn't get in there either.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Definitely love you, honey. Help.
4: Gotta go. And love bye love
3: you too. You take care. Bye bye.
4: Hello.
0: Hey, mom.
4: Hi, sweetie. How
3: are you?